Sixth Avenue podcast. My name is Carolyn Smith-Hilmer, and I am Sixth Avenue's very own final girl. Today, I am going to be coming at you with another French movie. Um, I couldn't really tell you why. It's not that I have a newfound love for French films or French extremity. It's just that I liked this movie. I watched it um, recently and felt the need to, to talk to you about it. I've been working on a piece for um, a writer's piece for the Morbidly Beautiful Network um, in which I discuss pregnancy films, pregnancy horror. And pregnancy horror is definitely something that I think is, I feel like personally is often discounted. It is highly unnerving, very disturbing. It certainly scares the shit out of me. And when we think of pregnancy horror, a lot of times we think of, um, you know, Rosemary's Baby is probably our, our classic example. And I love Rosemary's Baby. Like, don't get me wrong. This movie is absolutely nothing like Rosemary's Baby, but somehow the same as Rosemary's Baby. So this week we're going to be talking about 2007 french film inside yes we are talking about the 2007 original in french i am not talking about the english remake that was done a couple years ago nay nay so inside is a 2007 release one hour 22 minute runtime film directed by alexandra bustillo and julian mori Starring Alison Paridis, Jean-Baptiste Tabourin, and Claude Lullet. Looking at our Bible, IMDb. Four months after the death of her husband, a woman on the brink of motherhood is tormented in her home by a strange woman who wants her unborn baby. Seems like a simple plot. Um, and for what it's worth, it is relatively simple. But it's also so much more than that. Um, before we jump in, of course, I have to remind you all that The Final Girl on 6th Avenue is part of the incredible Morbidly Beautiful Network. Morbidly Beautiful is your home for horror. If you love horror in any way, shape, or form, then you are welcome at Morbidly Beautiful. You can find my podcast and many others like it, such as All American Spook Show, Not Your Final Girl, as well as insightful film reviews, and so much more. So head on over to morbidlybeautiful.com to check it all out and show us some love. Okay. This is an exciting one. I say we jump in. What do you say? You don't really have a choice, um, by the way, because this is my show. But if you did have a choice, I'm sure you would agree with me. So, I want to preface this by saying that, like, there's, if you haven't seen this movie, there's going to be parts when I'm talking about how they're showing the baby while it's in utero, like, inside of the mother's stomach, and they're doing this via CGI, and it is arguably the most upsetting and disturbing CGI visual of a baby I have ever seen in my entire life. So, be forewarned. We open on our film. There is a woman in a car. She's driving. She's speaking to her baby. And she's saying, you know, I'm going to protect you. There's nothing in this world that can take you away from me. You are my baby. You are safe in my body. And all of a sudden, we hear a loud crash. And we see the baby in the stomach kind of um, like bounce back and brace itself like something is going to strike its uh, its mother's stomach. Sarah, our, our real main character of this film, is shown now as having been in a car accident. And she looks over to the passenger seat and her husband who was in the car with her has, has died from this car accident. It was raining. From what I could tell, they were going really, really fast. Honestly, way too fast to be driving in the rain, um, in my opinion. But, and then, 
what I might consider to be one of the most incredible... When credits are shown at the beginning of a film, you either... You don't really know what you're in for, right? Like, I was once um, reading something about how Anthony Bourdain, like, wanted to put credits at the beginning of the show because he, like, wanted to get the credits out of the way so that the viewer, like, didn't have to watch for them, right, at the end of the show. And people were, you know, saying, hey, I don't think we should do that. It's a bad idea because if people see the credits at the beginning of the show, credits are typically shown at the end of a show, so they might think that the show is over and then they'll change the channel and they'll be confused and blah, 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 blah. I love when the credits are shown at the beginning, personally. I don't like when they're shown 30 minutes into the movie, like in John and the Hole, but we all know how I feel about that. But I love when the credits are shown at the beginning because it's a really, it's a really great time for the director and, you know, the writers and everyone to kind of come together and put forward some sort of visualization for you. And so I think if you are a creative person, you will really enjoy the opening credits of this movie. It is blood and gore and viscera and like hands reaching into this viscera and this, this body, this anatomy. And at the end of the credit scene, a baby is pulled out. So a little bit of foreshadowing, but really well done and absolutely insane to watch. I have so much appreciation. But after that, present day now, it's Christmas Eve. And Sarah no longer has her husband around. Obviously, he died. She's at the doctor. And the doctor's like, yo... Your baby's late, um, you know, being delivered. And so the next day, come in in the morning, 6 a.m. on Christmas morning, we're going to have you induced. And she's kind of like, whatever. Like, she's so indifferent to the fact that she's pregnant at all. I I would assume that I would maybe be similarly behaved. I mean, if my husband, who I made my child with, was no longer on this earth with me and I was just kind of alone having to figure this all out of myself. I don't know that, like, I don't know that I would be happy either. I really don't. So for Sarah, I'm not, I'm not even judging her and you shouldn't either. So she's in the hospital waiting room and, you know, (laughs) it's really interesting because like I talked about when I, um, watched Raw It's always funny to me that people can smoke or used to be able to smoke. I don't know if they still can in hospitals in Europe. It's just absolutely insane to me. And I know we used to be able to do that here in the United States, but like watching like a more recent film and still seeing people smoking in the hospital, like just blows my mind. So she's like in the waiting room waiting for her mom to pick her up from the hospital and um, drive her home. And so She's waiting with a nurse and a nurse is smoking a cigarette and, you know, just asking her all these questions or whatever. Just being way too invasive for someone who um, is clearly depressed and, like, doesn't want to have a conversation with a stranger. So Sarah's mother arrives and she's, like, walking Sarah to the car saying, you know, it's Christmas Eve. Are you sure you don't want me to stay with you? Are you sure you don't want to come over? Are you sure you don't want me to take you to the hospital in the morning? I'd really feel a lot better if you were at home, um, you know, not out photographing riots and violent crime and things like that. Presumably, um, Sarah is a photographer for a newspaper and, or some news source, and she photographs riots and destruction and you know cases of police brutality and things like that which is not an uncommon thing in France I mean I know it's a bit of a stereotype for us in the United States to be like oh well the French are always angry they're upset well honestly they might be I don't know I have only been there once I was only there for a short period of time but look they feel very strongly about what they feel I'm not even gonna sit here and try to argue with them like 
whatever. <laughs> like, if you feel strongly about these things and you want to riot, then, like, go ahead, French people. Have at it. But her mother is basically alluding to the fact that you're a pregnant woman, you're having a baby tomorrow, please, for the love of God, stay at home, don't go out and do anything crazy, I would love for you to be safe, get some rest, eat a good meal, blah, blah, blah. So... Later, Sarah, after parting ways with her mom, goes to a park and she's photographing a family, you know, a mom and a dad and and a young child playing. And while she's doing that, her boss, so like the editor-in-chief of whatever media outlet she works with, um, Jean-Pierre, is on the phone, walking in front of her while she's trying to take these pictures, very annoyed she is with him and eventually he gets off the phone and he's like well I don't have anybody I can trust to take pictures of all these riots and stuff so like I really need you to like have this baby and like get this over with because I need you to come back to work blah 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 Sarah's like okay I can only do what I can do but here's some keys they're for my house and for you know whatever else because I need you to take me to the hospital in the morning for my induction and he's like okay no worries at all Later that night, Sarah's at home. She's kind of watching TV, watching the news. Again, on the news, they're showing riots and what have you. Fun fact, the riots shown on the TV that Sarah is watching in the film are actual is actual real footage of riots in France. So that's kind of a fun fact. And she's knitting. And um, eventually, someone knocks on the door. And this is our, the introduction of our femme fatale. And I don't mean femme fatale as in like, wow, she's dropped dead hot. I mean femme fatale as in shit's about to get real. Party has started at Sarah's house. Okay? There's a woman at the door and she's asking to use Sarah's phone. And she wants to use the phone to call somebody for help of some kind. And Sarah is like, no, I'm sorry, you can't come in. My husband is sleeping. You know, nothing I can do about it. There's plenty of people, though, in this neighborhood. You know, everybody's home because it's Christmas Eve. So, like, just knock on literally anybody else's door and someone will be happy to help you. Just not me. My husband's asleep upstairs. And this woman, she just really isn't taking no for an answer. And um, she, in just the most horrific way is like, Sarah, I know that your husband is not upstairs because your husband is dead. So Sarah's like, what? How do you know my name? Number one. Number two, how do you know my husband is dead? Like, what the fuck? And that's obviously like a, a... a mechanism that like, you know, even I sometimes use and I would assume that some women do. Even if my husband is not with me and I'm out somewhere, I'll be like, oh yeah, like if someone's talking to me, I'm like, yeah, I'm on my way to go meet my husband or my husband's meeting me here or like my husband's at home or whatever. Like, you know, just subtly letting people know that there's either somebody waiting for me, there's somebody in the house with me, whatever. Like just so like, you know, they don't find out, oh, you're alone. Ooh, let's have some freaking fun. So she keeps insisting on coming in. Sarah's not giving in and she's like, I'm going to call the cops. So she picks up the phone to call the cops. And while she does that, luckily for her, her camera is downstairs. And so the woman is no longer at the door, but Sarah has these big giant glass windows and sliding glass doors all around the house. So eventually she walks around the house, the perimeter of the downstairs area, can't find the woman in any of the windows that she checks But when she reaches for the phone, eventually she's looking out her glass doors, back doors, and that fucking lady is standing there looking inside of the house. And she's covered from head to toe in black. So we really don't know what she looks like at this point, and we can't see her face. So Sarah takes her camera, and it's like one of those really nice professional cameras with a big flash on it. And is 
taking flash photos of the woman through the door so that she can get an idea of what her face looks like. So she calls the cops. The cops are saying like, okay, well, we'll be there soon. Whatever, you know, stay in the house. We're on the way. When the cops get there, the woman outside is gone. Or, well, they can't find her, I guess I should say. So Sarah shows pictures of um, the woman that she just took because she has a developing room in her house. When she goes to develop the photos that she just took of the woman through the glass door, she looks at a photo of her and her husband in a park. And in the background of this photo is the same woman standing in the shrubbery and the bushes behind them in the photo. Almost out of shot. Like, almost. But she's in the frame of the photo. And Sarah is, like, showing the cops, like, hey, I, like, this was the picture I got of the woman through the door. And the cops are like, look, like, I can't do anything with this. I can barely see who it is. Like, I'm glad that you can tell clearly who it is, but, like, we don't know. And second of all, the reason that she knows your name, your name is on the letterbox outside, like, the the mailbox. So, it's not, like, a crazy thing. The cops leave. And Sarah eventually is like, okay, fuck this. The cops tell her that, you know, there's going to be some police officers in the area patrolling. It's a secluded, quiet neighborhood. There's literally nobody else out and they can't find anybody. They can't hear anybody even making any noise. So like they have pretty much decided that this woman left and there's nothing else for them to do, but they're going to have someone like call her through the night so that, and like come check on her or whatever. So that way she can feel safer about the whole thing. So then before she goes to bed, Sarah's like, Jean-Pierre, can you please, I have these pictures, can you have them enhanced? Great. She goes to bed, sound asleep, huge pregnant belly. I mean, I'm saying that when you are sleeping, when you are pregnant, that looks like the most miserable sleep you'll ever have in your life. I don't even know how she's breathing properly. Like, it looks so uncomfortable. And so, oh God, this is where shit gets really real. This lady is in the house. How did she get there? Don't know. We can assume she arrived in a violent way into the home itself, but we have no idea how she got there. She crawls onto the bed that Sarah is sleeping in. And uncovers her pregnant belly. And she has these enormous scissors. And I'm wondering, like, I don't even know what kind of scissors they are. They're like, um, the ones that I would imagine are used in a hospital. Like a surgical type, surgical steel set of scissors. Because that's very much what they look like. She takes the scissors and jabs it into, (laughs) right into Sarah's stomach. So Sarah obviously wakes up. They fight, you know, for her to get away. And it's so, it's so bloody. Like, I'm sorry. Like, this movie is just so gory. Um... She fights away and she goes into the bathroom. So she's like locked herself in the bathroom and has like a sort of, you know, locking mechanism in the door, but then like the latch type lock that you have, a secondary lock. Okay. So she's like feeling pretty safe about being in the bathroom. The woman is telling Sarah, making it pretty clear that her intentions are for Sarah to give her that baby that's in her stomach. Fetal abduction attempt. That is what is happening right now. 
She wants to take Sarah's unborn child for herself. Now, she's like stabbing the door of the bathroom with the scissors. So these are pretty heavy duty scissors. She's not really making much progress. But when she's doing all of this, knock, knock, somebody's at the door. Jean-Pierre arrives and he takes this random woman at her word. He's never met Sarah's mom. And this woman is just like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm here because I'm Sarah's mom. And, you know, I, you know, am here watching Sarah, whatever, waiting with her till the next morning. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, that's kind of strange because she didn't tell me anybody was here. But, like, um, because she told me earlier that, like, she wasn't staying with her mom tonight. So, it's kind of strange that, like, I'm seeing you here or whatever. And the woman is like, yeah, I don't know. Like, things are complicated. Um, I'm just happy that she's sleeping. I feel bad for her. I just want her to rest before tomorrow. Blah, blah, blah. They have some drinks together. Now, knock, knock again. Sarah's actual mom shows up and is like, what the fuck? What the actual fuck is going on here? Like, who are you? Something here is wrong. Where is my child? So mom Louise runs up the stairs to check on her daughter. She's like, I have to figure out what's going on. She's calling Sarah's name from the other side of the bathroom door. I feel like I feel so horrible for Sarah in this moment. And I feel bad for her the whole movie, but really this part. What is appearing to be like a knitting needle of a kind, like it's a very long needle. I'm pretty sure it's a knitting needle. It's very, very long, very thick and, you know, sharp. Sarah is so paranoid right now that she hears the person talking on the other side of the door and assumes that no one else is in the house. So when she opens the door, expecting the person on the other side to be the woman, she stabs her own mother in the neck through in one side and through the other horizontally thinking that she's killing the woman who's trying to take her child but in actuality she kills her mother it's absolutely horrific i cannot imagine like what that would feel like that that's absolutely terrifying so now her mom is dead right jean-pierre is trying to get up the stairs and haha the lady has the scissors and she stabs him to death she stabs him in the head she stabs him everywhere she's like this lady is stab happy stabby mcstab stab this lady does nothing but stab i didn't i don't think she does anything in the whole movie other than stab and stabbing is a very personal killing you have to be you know really really close to somebody to stab them so it's not like a gunshot where like there's a degree of separation between you and me. It's you're right there. Okay, two down. Now, the police are back. People never stop coming to the door. The police are back and they're like, yo, um, just wanted to make sure everything was good. Except it's like Tweedledee and Tweedledum cops are showing up and they have a prisoner with them. And the prisoner that they have in the car is like, man, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, I promise you, like, I'm a man of faith. I, I really didn't do anything. And the guys, the cops are just like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, we have something to take care of. Like, please. So the cops come in, they go to the door and they tell the... the their prisoner that they have to stay in the car they don't know what sarah looks like because they're not the original police that came earlier so when the woman answers the door she presents herself as sarah and the cops are like oh dope like 
that's great. So glad to hear that everything's fine. They're about to leave and they look at each other and they're like, oh my God, wait, isn't the girl Sarah, is she not pregnant? So as they're turning around to go back to the house, Sarah has taken it upon herself because the woman has placed this like little bookcase thing under the handle of the door outside of the bathroom. So like Sarah actually can't open the doorknob at all. So she takes her shard of glass that she had gotten from the bathroom mirror and is stabbing into the door of the bathroom to make a hole big enough so she can put her arm through the hole and like reach to the handle and try to get it. Miss Girl is, um, you know, hearing all of this commotion and she's like, okay, sick. Um, here's what I'm going to do. I have these scissors and your arm is through this door. So she takes Sarah's arm and pins it on the other side of the door. So her arm is outside of the bathroom into the hallway and pins it with the scissors into the wall. Okay. So while she's trying to be handcuffed by one police officer downstairs, the woman takes a knitting needle and is like, fuck that. I'm not going to not be able to use my arms and stabs the police officer. She then takes his gun. There's another cop upstairs who's getting the door open for Sarah and trying to talk her through this. Miss Lady takes the gun from the cop downstairs, goes upstairs and shoots the second cop's head off. Now he's dead too. Luckily, there's a third cop in the car. Still, the driver. And he's down there with the prisoner. They arrested somebody. He's down there with his prisoner. And apparently, you don't leave a prisoner hanging out in the car. So, they he, like, tethers himself to the prisoner. Runs in the house. Makes the prisoner go with him. And the prisoner's like, dude, like, this is fucking stupid. Like, I do not want to be tied up in this. Like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do I don't want to help you. Like, I didn't sign up for this, first of all. Second of all... I wasn't even throwing Molotov cocktails to begin with. So, like, please, like, let, let me go. So, uh, we're getting a view of Sarah up against, like, in between the wall and the bathroom vanity. The two men, the cop and the prisoner, are bent over trying to help her. And the woman in the frame is just walking right behind them. Like, nobody even sees her walk past the bathroom. Nobody sees anything. And Sarah is in really, really bad shape at this point. Like, her entire body is pretty much covered in blood. She looks god-awful. But the bathroom door is wide open at this point. And so she's like, okay. Holding on to the shard of glass for dear life. Holding on to her stomach. The cop finally comes back with the prisoner and is like, okay, well, first things first, like we need to bandage up your hands because, you know, you are like, you're bleeding everywhere. Like we need to, we need to take care of this first. And they're like, Hey, by the way, this lady is gone because the, she left out of the bedroom window because the bedroom window is open when we just went in there. Right as soon as they say that, the prisoner's like, uh, yo, she's still here because she turned off the electricity. They flipped the circuit breaker. So now they're working in the complete darkness and Sarah is just like, okay, I don't even care what happens to me anymore. Like, I just want to not deal with this. So like, please, we know, whatever. So they're working with two dudes and a flashlight and everything is going wrong. So they bandage up her hands and then they go downstairs to, um, like they want to, their two goals are to go back downstairs, flip on, flip the power back on and then, um, call an ambulance from their car so that somebody can come get Sarah. And they're like, don't move, wait here, please don't try to go anywhere. And the whole time she's hysterical and she's like, she's crying and she's like, I killed my mom. And they're like, dude, 
that's okay. Like, we have other shit to worry about right now. Like, we literally do not care <laughs> about that, and we don't even know if you're right. So, now, this is thing three and thing four, because um, these people are fucking stupid. And they're like, hey, we're going to go all do all those things. Turn power on, number one. Call for backup, number two. If you can walk with me, why don't we get you to your bedroom so you can lay down? So they take her to her bedroom so she can lay down. They give her a gun to protect herself with. And as soon as she lays in that bed, she falls asleep. I mean, she's had so much lost blood, so much energy spent on this, so much time. Like, nothing is going her way right now. Everything is bad. And she's just like... I'm just going to lay down and fucking go to sleep. Like, if I hopefully if I wake up, this is all just a dream and it can all be over. What have you. So, thing three and three, four are downstairs fucking with the circuit breaker. And they can't seem to get the electricity back on. But that's okay because this girl doesn't need electricity. Okay? She can see any day, anytime, anywhere everything all at once. Okay. And so she comes downstairs and yeah, she kills, she kills the cop. She puts her gun right up to his head and, um, she pulls the trigger. Again, they're only working with a flashlight still. So they, they can't see her, but just, you know, they look around everywhere except for exactly where she is. And conveniently, her gun is just right up against their head, the cop's head, and she pulls the trigger, kills him. The prisoner now is like, oh, fuck. Hey, lady. You're intruder? Yeah, she's still in the house, by the way. So, we get this image of Sarah laying on the bed in her bedroom. Her face is completely bloodied. Like, so much blood on it, it's, like, hardened at this point. And her eyes are wide open. She is barely alive at this minute. Okay. The woman takes her scissors, goes up to the prisoner, stabs him square in the forehead. He pulls the scissors out of his own forehead, which is absolutely remarkable. Because I'm, I would just leave them there. Because I don't think it would matter at this point. And the, the woman is like, okay, well, this is a great opportunity for me to have a cigarette. Which I'm like, what the fuck? Then she goes upstairs, back to the bedroom. She gets on top of Sarah. Like, Sarah is laying on her back in this bed. And she gets on top of Sarah and starts, like, kissing her and rubbing her body against her. And, like, you know, like, rubbing her mouth alongst Sarah's neck and face and everything. And Sarah waits until... This woman is lulled into this false sense of security and bites off a piece of her lip before running away out of the bedroom and down the stairs. And I will tell you, after all the shit that Sarah has been through, she is fast. She is agile. She is strong. This fucking stupid bitch of an intruder gets a bite of her lip taken off and she's like, wallowing in pain like oh my god like this is like the worst thing that could ever ever happen to me and so Sarah she goes downstairs she sees you know the destruction that has been caused there's a knitting needle still in the first cop that she killed that the woman killed so she takes that out and is like okay I'm armed and ready to go now, she meets the woman in the kitchen. And this is where we get really close to our final showdown. She has a knitting needle. She's on the floor. She's on her back. The woman is over the top of her, kicking her, kicking her in the head, you know, kicking her in the face, whatever. She slaps the knitting needle out of her hand like it's fucking nothing. She's pissed about what has been done, and Sarah is just wallowing on the floor, like, you know, so close to death, she just wants to die. She doesn't even care what it takes at this point. 
And after some hustle and bustle, right, um, Sarah's trying to get away, but the woman is pulling her by her hair and by her clothes around the kitchen. Sarah eventually gets up and takes the knitting needle that she gets back. She stands up in the kitchen against the stove and takes the knitting needle and makes eye contact with this woman and puts that needle against her stomach hard. Like, not hard enough to puncture the skin, but pretty fucking hard. And, you know, then we get another CGI image of the baby, which, like, what the fuck? I'm really tired of seeing the baby. He scares me. But I understand how effective it is. And so the woman is like, okay, well, shit. I actually do need you alive until the baby's ready to come out. Because, like, the only way the baby can survive is if it's in your body or whatever. So, like, okay, fine. So let me just keep you unconscious, but breathing. So she's pissed at the fact that Sarah would kill the baby just to make this whole thing end. She takes a toaster out of the wall, rips it, swings the cord, hits the toaster against Sarah's head, upside the head, and, you know, lets her lay on the ground for a while. While she's over Sarah's body, again, she decides, wonderful opportunity to have another cigarette. Which... I can't, I've never smoked a cigarette, but like, I cannot imagine what having half of my lip missing and then like inhaling tar against that would feel like. I'm sure terrible. But Sarah notices that there is a very lovely, um, like a pine saw can or like some aerosol cleaning spray can on the floor. And whenever the woman goes to light her cigarette, she sprays that right up on this woman's face, causing her, you know, basically over half of her face to be burned. The woman runs away screaming. Again, this woman is a fucking, she's a little bitch. Like she cannot, she cannot take what she's dishing out. Sarah picks up the knitting needle still on the floor and decides now's a great opportunity to trach myself. So she takes the knitting needle and shoves it in the front of her throat, wiggles it around a little bit, gets frustrated by the fact that she's still alive and not dead and stands up and conveniently on the counter in the kitchen. There's a roll of tape, like what appears to be duct tape. And she is crying and like, the amount of blood that is pouring out of her neck at this point is like, I'm sure not far from realistic, but like there's so much blood in this woman's body. I know like you have more blood in your body while pregnant, but like, I guess I didn't realize how much it could really be. So she takes the duct tape. She wraps it around her throat to stop the bleeding. Fine. Now she's like game plan kitchen knife check what appears to be some sort of like a um a a baton like a police baton but it's hollow in the middle so like a rod and it extends outwards but it's very long like on its own that's why i compare it to a baton she puts the knife handle into the opening And is like, fuck this shit, I'm done. She picks up her camera. So she now has a spear, basically. She picks up her camera and she starts photographing everything. She's like, when I'm alive and I make it out of this shit, this is going to be the absolute best thing ever. For, I don't know, I guess the newspaper. (laughs) I don't know why she's taking these pictures. And she's walking around the house taking these pictures and we as the audience are just getting these flashes of like the bloodied faces of these people, their brains on the floor, the blood everywhere. And she inevitably makes her way up the stairs to find in a closet, the woman is, you know, crying, bitching, moaning, her face is smoking. She's like blind in one eye now. And Sarah is just taking pictures of her. And has this spear above her. And the woman looks at her and is like, you cannot kill me again, Sarah. And she, like, immediately disarms and, you know, physically puts herself in, like, a position to listen. And is like, what the fuck are you talking about? 
the lady said, you already killed me once. So you're not going to be able to do it again. We get a flashback of the car accident from the beginning of the movie. Two pregnant women, one being Sarah, the other being the intruder in the house right now, are in a car accident. Sarah's baby survives the accident. This woman's baby does not survive this car accident. And Sarah is like, okay, well, I'm sorry that, like, I guess I didn't know because I also think maybe you're fucking lying because they told me, the cops did, that there was no, nobody survived. As soon as they have this little, you know, come to Jesus meeting in the fucking closet, the lights turn on. And what do you know, the third police officer that came in with the prisoner is somehow alive. Is he a zombie? I don't think so. But he's like, he was stunned, I guess, by what happened at first, but now he's able to walk around. I, your guess, good as mine, I don't know, truly. He mistakes Sarah when she approaches him as the woman who tried to kill him in the first place and starts violently fucking attacking her. And the woman is like, oh, well, now I want to protect Sarah. I don't want to hurt her. So the woman starts to stab the officer again and inevitably he dies. Now, Sarah was kicked in the stomach by this police officer during his rage, his mistaken rage, by the way. And her water broke. He kicked her so hard that fluid and blood started pouring out of her. And she starts crawling up the stairs to get to her bedroom, I assume. And she's calling out for her mom. Well, that's too bad, so sad, because she killed her mom earlier. And she's giving birth on the stairs. And she's looking at this lady like, this baby, it's stuck. Like, it's stuck in me, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to give. This woman is, like, very kind, very nurturing, rubbing her forehead, saying, oh, my God, it's going to be okay. I'm right here. You know, like, like anyone would fucking trust her anyway. And now that the dynamic has kind of shifted in a way, Sarah is saying the baby's stuck and so this woman is like, oh, okay, cool. So you want me to get it out then? That's what I think you mean. That's what I think you mean. I used to want me to get it out? Then great. I'll get it out. She didn't ask for her to take it out. So she cuts open Sarah's nightgown, which is 100% completely coated in blood at this point. There's not a, like a, not even a dry piece on her whole body. She takes her big surgical scissors and fucking cuts into Sarah's stomach and she cuts it all the way up and oh my god it's so terrible and she just reaches her hand in and starts digging and digging and digging the final shot we get is the woman sitting in a chair in the living room rocking the baby and the baby's alive it's it's crying a little bit and sarah is dead on the stairs of the house i mean she's absolutely dead Blood is literally pouring down the staircase at such an insane pace. It's sickening. And the woman kind of like looks over at Sarah like... I don't want to say longingly, but like... um, Like she's almost like thankful. It feels a little bad. But ultimately she's happy because she has the baby that she wanted. And that, my friends, is 2007 Inside. So, a couple things at play here, right? Um, it, oh, such a heavy movie because nothing good comes from it. It's just, uh, it's just bad and horrible and scary from start to finish, but in terms of using pregnancy, I would say, 
having a pregnant woman in a film be the target of an attack, of a home invasion, of whatever, right, is is more frightening, right? A pregnant woman, pregnant women are like supposed to be the people that you give up your seat for on the train and you know, you help them carry their bags and they're supposed to be protected and kept in like a nice little cocoon of safety and of, um, you know, I don't know. They're supposed to be happy. They're supposed to be safe. They're supposed to be cute. Like it really plays on the fact that nothing bad should technically be happening to Sarah, but we're all standing by and like allowing it to, right? Like she's, she's kind of desensitized to violence in a way. She photographs violent things. She photographs riots. She's like, you know, and then that kind of speaks too to the state of French media and the state of, of, of France. Like there are violent things happening there very often. And I would argue that French, the French country as a whole is, um, a little more desensitized to graphic detail than we are. They definitely see movies as art and film as art rather than like something to be used for entertainment. So like, obviously whatever creative liberties you'd like to take, like they definitely understand and accept those and, and put that at the discretion of the director. But it's really interesting that the perpetrator of the home invasion is another woman. And I think that is what is even more um, frightening is because it's like a pregnant woman should be able to trust another woman for any reason. Like she should just be able to trust her. She should be able to trust her for companionship, for help, especially someone who's just gone through a traumatic loss, like the loss of a husband. She should be able to rely on other women and people around her and should not have to feel like, you know, she's she's just walking around on like an ordinary day, right? It's definitely not something that, it's not something you expect. That's why horror and using pregnancy in horror is so effective. It also, it also like takes or allows us, I guess, to explore that taboo that American women often have, which is that if you are pregnant, you are supposed to be happy. You are supposed to be you know, completely enthralled in everything, baby, and you should be the happiest person in the world. And like, there could be nothing wrong with you because like your baby is such a gift and like, there's no better gift and whatever, blah, 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 blah. Cry me a river. If a woman in America were to say, well, I'm pregnant, but I'm not particularly like excited about it. It's just like part of life. And you know, like I'm kind of indifferent about it. Other women would shame her to no end. And this film perfectly shows, yo, Sarah is pregnant. Sarah just lost her husband. Sarah's not excited to be having a baby. We don't know if she was ever excited to be having a baby, but we do know that from the time that we are introduced to her, she is not excited to be having this kid. So it's kind of nice to see the taboo of not being thrilled or excited or happy about having a kid. It's kind of nice to see that being played out. And women should be able to talk about the fact that maybe they didn't want kids. Maybe they have kids but are not, you know, happy having them. Maybe... Like, they wish they had terminated their pregnancy. Like, women should be able to express those feelings. We shouldn't act like women are such monsters for feeling these this way. Particularly because not every pregnancy is a planned pregnancy. So, like, if especially if it wasn't a planned pregnancy, like, I would... I certainly myself would not be happy. 
So I do enjoy the exploration of that. Now, the violence part is interesting as well because it almost seems that even though Sarah is upset, clearly, and she is um, frightened by what is going on, there's this intruder and she's supposed to be induced to give birth the next day, what have you. She doesn't seem particularly, like, upset by the gore and the blood and everything that's in her house. So, again, speaking to, like, the French mind being desensitized to these things, she's really only focused on getting out. Or figuring out what the fuck is going on. But once she realizes that the only person who's going to be able to save her is herself she kind of in a way turns on the baby and is like, okay, well, like I was going to protect this thing at first, but now if it's going to be me or the baby, like I will fucking live. Okay. I'm going to make it out. And if the baby's what you want, well, I'll just fucking kill it. And then you can't have it. And that's why that scene with her in the kitchen and the needle poking into her stomach is so effective. It's finally the moment in which she's like, you know what? Fuck this. If you want this kid so bad, or you think that we need to get even because I killed your child in a car accident and so you deserve to have my child, well, no, like, I'll just kill mine too and then neither one of us will have a baby and it'll be fine. Now we're even. But this woman doesn't want that. She wants Sarah's live, healthy, full-term baby. And what I really appreciate is that they was not over the top by any means. But I get a little biblical references here. Okay. Kind of nice. Kind of a nice touch. The woman, the intruder, is wearing all black. Sarah, the poor, innocent, single mother with no one to help her, is uh, wearing all white. Well, not by the end. She's wearing all red because it's co- covered in blood. But um, she was wearing all white at the beginning and to rid Sarah of her sin the sin being that she killed this woman's um, unborn child in a car accident and caused her to miscarry the only way to cleanse her of that sin is to give up her one and only son right For God gave his one and only son to rid the earth of whatever the fuck, okay? That is a nice biblical touch. I really enjoy that. I really enjoy that, you know, there's this, there's no men involved, right? And like, it it kind of relates to the Virgin Mary. What's more Virgin Mary-like than being pregnant with no man around, right? I mean, the man, obviously her husband is the reason why she has this child, but, um, or why she has this baby, excuse me, but, like, he's not around anymore. He's in, he's in heaven, or he's in another world. So, kind of like God being an otherworldly figure and giving Mary a baby to carry full term. Very interesting. The one thing that I, that troubles me that I can't quite seem to find deep reasoning in is why Sarah had to die. It would seem more likely that, or it would seem more reasonable to me, I guess I should say, that Sarah befriend someone, you know, in the hospital carry the baby to term, go in for her induction, and the person who's working very closely with her and is working in the hospital steals her baby from the hospital. And, like, I'm not saying that I would rewrite the movie, but it's almost as if the character of the woman, the intruder, doesn't quite fit the profile, the typical profile of someone who would would commit an act of fetal abduction. And I'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. But 
the thing that makes this the most scary, I would say, is that very fact. You should feel safe in your own home. Most people do. Your home is the one place in which you, if someone invades it, that is like, you know, game over, what the fuck, absolute most terrifying thing in the entire universe. Not only that, not only that, but it's almost like a womb of your own, your home. You grow in there, you nurture in there, it's where you eat, it's where you breathe, it's where you sleep, it's where you live your life. And then when you leave the home and you present yourself to the world, it's almost as if you're, you know, whatever version of yourself that your home created for you. Much like a baby inside of a womb, it is grown, it is nurtured, it breathes, it feeds, it matures. And when it leaves the womb, it is its own person created by the things that surrounded it. And that is where the name inside really gets scary. It's like, it's not only what's going on inside this fucking house, but it's what's going on inside this woman's stomach. Everything that she feels the baby reacts to. We see the baby's reactions on CGI in the film. So the womb of Sarah is her home and her baby, you know, is in Sarah's womb. They're both growing and maturing together. That is what I really appreciate because it would have made, it would not have made for as good of a movie if like, let's say this woman, the intruder was a nurse in the hospital and she just stole the baby. That's not original and that's not what we're after. And that would be like almost less frightening. It'd be like, oh, well, I kind of get it. Like it makes sense. You know, there's this baby, it's crime of opportunity, whatever. But what I do on a serious note want to talk about right now is the crime of fetal abduction. This is a very real thing that happens. This film is not simply coming up with a scenario that's never occurred. I wish that were the case, but unfortunately it is not. While it is a rare crime, it is unfortunately very real. Um... The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children publishes and keeps track of these um, data points for us, so I'm going to share a link to it. It's a free report that you can download. The data is collected from 1964, currently to August 2022. Infant abductors. This is a list of um, the characteristics that a typical infant abductor will have and this is again 336 cases that they have you know utilized from child abduction and infant abduction from 1964 to 2022. Typical characteristics are going to be a female of childbearing age who appears to be pregnant, most likely compulsive, relies on manipulation, lying, and deception, Frequently indicates that she has lost a baby or is incapable of having one. Is often married or cohabitating. The companion of the woman, their desire for a baby, or the abductor's desire to provide for her romantic companion and his baby may be the motivation for the abduction. They usually live in the same community where the abduction takes place. They frequently initially visit nursery and maternity units at more than one healthcare facility prior to the abduction, ask detailed questions about procedures and the layout of the maternity floor, and frequently utilize a fire exit stairwell for their escape. But they may also try to abduct from the home setting like the woman in this film. They usually plan the abduction, but do not necessarily target a specific infant. It's more just like a baby, not a specific baby. So they frequently seize any opportunity present to abduct a baby. They sometimes impersonate nurses or other allied healthcare personnel, often become familiar with healthcare staff members, staff member work routines, and victim parents, which is horrible. They often demonstrate a capability to provide 
care to the baby once the abduction occurs within her emotional and physical abilities. In addition, though, the abductor who chooses to abduct from a home setting is more likely to be single while claiming to have a partner. So lying about having a partner. Often targets a mother whom she may find visiting healthcare facilities and tries to meet the target family. Often plans the abduction and brings a weapon. So they often plan it and secure a weapon, but they may not use that weapon. And they often impersonate a healthcare or social social services professional while visiting the home. Um, yeah, 336 cases from 1964 to 2022. Infants that are still missing. There are 16 of them. 16 of them are still missing. 44% of these abductions happened in the home. 42% happened from healthcare facilities and 15 happened from other locations. Specifically within the healthcare facilities, 59% of these occurred from the mother's room. 19 of them, so 14%, occurred from the nursery. Um, it, it, it's absolutely insane the things that these people will do. Most commonly, if they're coming from, um, if they're choosing to commit this crime in a home, more often than not, 39% of the time, they are going to present themselves as a babysitter or a child care worker. And 27% of the time, they're going to present themselves as a relative, a friend, or an acquaintance. If it's from a um, healthcare facility, most commonly they're going to present themselves as a nurse or healthcare worker. 11 of the total cases, so 3% of them, um, the infant died. 12% the mother died. And 23% of them involved violence. Fetal abductions like in terms of cesarean abductions, because fetal abduction can be um, anything, any child from the age zero to six months, but a cesarean abduction would be like actually going in and taking, cutting the child out. So this type of fetal abduction makes up 6% of all infant abductions. Um, since 1987, there have been 21 cases reported. Of the 21, 19 of them involved the mother dying and nine of them involved the fetus dying as a result. So I will share this with you. This is very, very important. This is absolutely horrific what happens. There's one case in mind that like, I'm not, again, I'm not like a true crime podcast, so I don't really know what I'm doing here, but there was one case that I'll never forget that I read about. And now I'm going to share it with you because you know, there's a, if we don't suffer together, then I don't really know why we suffer at all. So this is a 2006 case, um, in East St. Louis, Illinois on September 15th, 2006, Jamela Turnstall was murdered by her childhood friend, Tiffany Hall. She was knocked unconscious and her unborn baby was cut from her abdomen with a pair of scissors. Neither the mother nor the child survived the attack. Jamila Tunstall's body was left in a vacant parking lot. Um, Tiffany Hall, the friend, drowned Tunstall's three other children. So she already had three children, ages one, two, and seven. And proceeded to leave the dead children's bodies in the washer and dryer in the family apartment. Tiffany Hall was sentenced to life in prison in June 2008. So, yeah, this is really crazy. Um, and that's why it's interesting that I made the connection between um, fetal abduction and this film. Not necessarily because it wasn't or doesn't meet the definition of fetal abduction, but because 
it doesn't appear that the woman who came in to steal Sarah's baby was, like, continuing to lie about being pregnant or anything. Because a lot of the time, the profile of these abductors will be that they're lying about being pregnant still, and then, you know, nine months comes around, and when there's no fucking baby, people start to get really, you know, concerned that there's no kid around. And so, it doesn't appear that she's trying to, like, keep up a lie. It just appears that she's trying to right a wrong, what she sees as a wrong in her eyes. So, again, very interesting film. But I have taken up quite enough of your time and quite enough of mine talking about this film. But I really enjoy it. So if you haven't seen it, I hope that you do too. I watched it on Tubi for free. So you can do the same. You can find this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and Pocket Casts. If you've enjoyed the show, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you left me a five-star review. And subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. For any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, requests, you can email me at finalgirlon6 at gmail.com or you can send me a message on Instagram at finalgirlon6. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed the show. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll stick with the pregnancy stuff. Maybe we'll move on to something else. I'm full of surprises. So we'll see what I bring to you in two weeks. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you guys soon. And never forget that I am your very own final girl. (laughs) 